Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life, from the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement program and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Ziggy Alberts and this is Sober Awkward. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great, perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one while you head to a dodgy after party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly, authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. Do you know what's weird about today's episode, Vic? What? Not once during the whole time that we hung out with one of Australia's greatest singers did you show me your musical talent. I know, what, my mouth trumpet? Exactly. Yeah, well, I was scared that he would be so impressed and would ask me to probably come on tour with him. <laughs> what do you think? 
Um, I'm sure he's got a horn section. I don't know if he has a mouth horn section. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. He needs to get one. If he did ask, I'd probably be forced to leave John and the kids and travel around the world with him. Would that be a tough decision to make? No, I don't think so. I'd be out of here before John even got back from work, quite honestly. <laughs> and you know what? The tour would be better off for having you awkwardly standing at the back of the stage doing your mouth trumpet. Everyone would love it. The Sober Awkward fans would love it. Mm. In all seriousness, Haim... Our guest today has just set off for the Australian and New Zealand legs of his tour. He will be on the road between now and the end of November, so we thought this would be a perfect time to talk to him. Ziggy Alberts is a singer-songwriter and author who has established himself as one of Australia's leading independent artists. He's a Sunshine Coast legend, a genuine grassroots story that has lifted his artistry into universal acclaim, captivating audiences across the globe, a testament to his songwriting ability and incredible live shows. Ziggy's career is a family affair. He founded his own independent record label and publishing house, Common Folk, in 2018, which he then signed himself onto, and he employs his family members to run the show. As a result of this, Ziggy has the rare ability in the music industry to tell a story on his own terms. His sixth studio album, Dancing in the Dark, is no exception, providing yet another example of how he showcases his artistic growth and shares his ever-evolving story with the world. Ziggy has over 1.6 million monthly listeners on Spotify alone, which is the same amount that we've had the entire history of our podcast. Yeah. Basically, all of his songs get millions of listens. Amazing. And all of this at 29 years old. And of course, no prizes for guessing, Ziggy has soared to the top of the music industry whilst sober. We covered a lot in this chat, so I want to keep this intro as short as possible. So let's get straight into it. Enjoy my chat with Ziggy Alberts. Enjoy. So let me begin by saying welcome to Freddie's bedroom, aka the studio. You are next to our two-foot green dinosaur. First impressions of the Sober Awkward studio? Um, I think it's like all studios should be. You know, it's totally impromptu, and I've done a lot of recordings, um, podcast, and uh, you know, actual studio recordings in very unassuming places. I have put on the T-Rex. I wish we had a visual my speed dealer sunglasses and yes. so i feel like we're i feel like we're ready the dinosaur has never been spoilt like it has just been by you we neglect it really we never put clothes or sunglasses on it it needs silver speed dealers i think you're right okay okay we'll, we'll, we'll look to invest in some of those um and it's you know it's so lovely to actually speak to someone who is from the coast usually our chats are like on zoom with someone in the uk or america it never works. There's always delays. One of the microphones always fucks up. It's very awkward to start, so it's like a treat to have you here. Also nice to speak to someone who like lives on the Sunshine Coast. You understand that aeroplanes go over this part of town quite regularly, and that's not a weird thing for you to deal with. It is, yeah, no, um, the feeling is mutual. It is so many things we do remotely, and so many uh, podcasts we do by need and necessity but anytime you can literally roll over and you know um, do an in-person for me it's 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 an absolute charm so yeah thanks for having me not at all thank you and thank you for squeezing us in i know you leave on tour next week a week today right that's exactly okay yeah. what is what is the week in the lead up to a tour look like are you just like spending maximum time with friends family and in the ocean are there, is there work to do or is it like downtime that's a good question um it is for me i'm a relatively 
frenetic person at home okay. <laughs> and I also um, started a record label an independent record label with my family five years ago so anytime I'm home is like a return to being a pseudo adult which is you know which I want to run away from sure. all the time uh, and so I am looking to put on the brakes a bit before tour starts just to kind of um, I guess over the next week I will try and see what is truly necessary for the tour to be successful and what I can do to not go into the tour burnt out, which easier said than done again with my sort of personality. I've just, you know, I was up as we talked about before the podcast, I was up at five fifteen <laughs> doing seven and a half K run this morning with friends. So like I'm not I'm not necessarily the best person at chilling. I'm learning. <laughs> pseudo adult this room is not a pseudo adult room you can be as childish as you want we did spend the pre-interview talking about coffee machines and woodwork which was very adult of both of us but feel free to talk about farts and anything you want in this space that is the majority of the podcast is us making cock and balls jokes and talking about farts so. okay, and you know what it's been a great um like what a re- what a pretty we went from homeware and archway doors and bathrooms to Dinosaur speed dealers. I feel like we, you know, we're really covering all topics. That's here. it. That's the, that is the podcast in a sentence. So, what struck me in researching you ahead of this conversation is that drinking alcohol to a certain extent is about conventionality, right? We grew up around it. All of our friends do it. Our family does it. So we just sort of end up doing it. And your life has been anything but conventional. So homeschooled until you were thirteen. You then set up your own record label, like you like you just alluded to. Employed your family to run it. Then you started releasing poetry because why not? You obviously have a passion for it and you can write well. So I guess my first question is, do you think that the unconventionality of your life helped with the idea of not drinking because everyone else does? Yes, and I'll delve into why. I mm-hmm. think overarchingly, um, absolutely. Growing up homeschooled, particularly before, like, you know, at the time when my folks were um, homeschooling us, it was still like, are you trying to damage your child? It wasn't like a cool, trendy, okay, yeah. uh, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't niche. It wasn't like something cute. It wasn't farmer's market. It was like, are you trying to damage your child? <laughs> and so credit to them through the nineties before it was cool. You know, everything's a little edgy before it's cool. And um, that was homeschooling as well. I think that homeschooling allowed me to perhaps be the individual that I am. And when you are, in a conformist um, arena day in, day out, i.e. school, and that's not to call it good or bad, but to the least it is about conforming to whatever the rules and regulations are there. And so I think that it's also potentially not the place that you're going to always shine as an individual. In fact, I think it's incredible how many individuals come out of a school system. It shows you the resilient of people's individuality and spirit. Um, it's certainly always then, I guess when you are homeschooled, like you, you know, you're different and things are different. And then if you are like a weird, if you're already a weird kid, which I was and am, you know, then like, you know, you just know what's up and, um, and, uh, you know, fast forward through, I guess, very, um, path less traveled kind of, um, beginning of my career from being essentially a street performer and then, choosing a route of doing backyard shows and strangers' houses, which we organize through social media, fully independent grassroots, like very like, you can't do this. And for me, it was always a question. As soon as people said, you can't do it that way, I was always curious. 
um, perhaps a bit of a masochist as well. Like it was like, well, it looks hard and it looks like it's not really been done much. So I'm going to go for it. Yeah. Uh, and when it came to that time, the first um, major stint I did um, without alcohol, um, it, I think, was immensely important. Uh, it was actually, this is the crazy part, which we'll talk about more, but it was actually easy. Yeah. That's what's crazy. It was that it was, and I'll explain as to why, but it was made easier by my upbringing. And I think depending on how and why you're doing it, I do believe that in people will be surprised and could be surprised about the time away from something that seems like perhaps integral in their social and weekly kind of life. You know, I feel the same way. I feel like that is my opinion on it. It's not a popular opinion to have. Like, this is actually not that bad because obviously people have had a huge problem with drinking. Like, fuck you. Like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. But I guess for anyone who's given up without a problem, it's not impossible. Like, it's actually more rewarding mm. than it is difficult. And it's it's just, I guess, the fear of giving it a go that keeps people away from it. We're very good at making our excuses why we drink. Mm-hmm. We're not great at considering the benefits of not drinking. It's been, it's been my experience of it generally. So before we get onto your sobriety, you ended up going to school from the year, 13 years old to 16 years old, is that That's right? That's right. Which is obviously the most formative years in most people's drinking lives. And at school, I think like this is probably true across all schools, it is cool to be rebellious, right? People are drawn to rebellious kids. Mm-hmm. When you're 13, 14, 15, 16, rebellious, in my experience, means drinking, smoking, breaking rules. So when you enter the school system for the first time, how did you find integrating with that new circle of friends, making friends? And did you go, I, I will drink, smoke or rebel to sort of win over the crowd? Hmm. So I had, I think, a particularly lucky, for lack of a better word, a lucky entry into school. Mm-hmm. My sister had just gone to that school. She was a year above me. Same story. And so there was that aspect. I also, at the time, had, you know, blonde white hair and perceivably was a surfer. Little yeah. do they know that, you know, I would go on to do, you know, two maths and two sciences, no art. And, you know, seeing it, like maths and science, you know, and like full in the books. And um, so I didn't, <laughs> they didn't know I was a nerd. At first, I had, you know, people assumed I was some cool surf kid, which I let that play out as long as possible until they realized. And uh, and I actually had my childhood girlfriend from the surf competitions I used to do. You know, we, did, we went to the same board riders is what it's called. And my childhood girlfriend was in my grade. You know? okay, and so yeah. like, I had a ridiculous entry. You know, like you can't have a more cushioned landing than mm-hmm. that to any schooling experience, whether you're homeschooled or not. So... That for me, I guess the ways, now that you say it, the ways I rebel in general or have rebelled as a teenager weren't, they weren't maybe, (laughs) they were different too. I I wanted to impress, impress my peers. Of course, I want to impress my peers, but I think it was pretty clear to me that I just... School to me was a game and it was like, how am I going to win? Like Mm -hmm. what, what I'm here to do is get grades to not with hold back my life otherwise and it was a st- and it was a relatively new experience to go to three years of school instead of 12 not including if you were in prep or whatnot mm-hmm. i was having a fresh experience so uh, i would say however that probably because of finishing school and um that year 12 i was really young because i was i went up a grade got okay, in yeah. early yeah. and so i was you know 15 for the first two terms of year 12 and 16 when i graduated so 
funnily enough, the most partying I did really was like 16 to 20, yep. I guess. You know, that was, if there was any party period, that was it because I graduated. You go to schoolies. And so that's where I did, you know, the most of my drinking, which I wasn't particularly good at as it was, but that's where I did um, my drinking or smoking weed that was the time and then moving from you know 16 to 20 and i'll detail i guess what life looked like in those Mm. years but by the time um i quit everything else to do music i was 19 and as far as i took it upon myself willingly and excited in an excited manner to make music the only thing and Mm. therefore i've been essentially working for myself for 10 years already at 29 and so when you have a passion like music and that's, you know, and a vision like that, you're just not interested in wasting time yeah. the same way. Okay, here I was thinking school was going to be hard. You're the surfing nerd with a girlfriend. It's a flipping breeze. It was, I'm telling you, I got, like, they just didn't know. If I, if they knew how how nerd I am, you know, I just, again, I got lucky. So, yeah, I was it was a blessed situation. Okay, so let's talk about the party years. So 16 to 19 years old. Is that when you sort of started playing music in local bars or coffee shops or or is that the first time you hopped in the van and started traveling? What do those years look like for you? 16 to 19, so graduated um, and then you do, you know, um, you do your whole schoolies things. And I would would happily say if I'd actually um, dived into any other, you know, drugs other than at that time smoking weed and drinking alcohol but mm-hmm. i just never did and we can go on to i guess how your friend group does impact that for sure um but at the time i guess you guys had pretty like we just were keen to surf um friends were generally pretty athletic but that was you've graduated um a lot of people were older than me my friends are older than me the people that i work with um and you also like hey i'm, I'm working i've graduated like you act you're acting you get your license 17 you are acting as a pseudo adult mm-hmm. even before i was 18 working and paying my way you know um etc cetera, etc cetera. and but there were definitely the times where i was partying more me go to these you know epic funny you know big parties out on properties and stuff like yeah. that and sleep upright in cars as four yeah, people yeah, yeah. in a small little you know four door <laughs> and um you'll never forget the first time that you, you know, projectile vomited over a um, balcony and mm-hmm. your friends, you know, chucked him over your soldier. Like you are some embattled soldier being carried across, you know, the Kokoda track by your mate, like, you know, like it's a battle and um, you won't forget those times. And that was, you know, like 17, 18 music was still relatively frivolous. Mm-hmm. I was doing working coffee shop job playing, you know, once I'd picked up, guitar as i finished school 2011 is when i started learning guitar because mm-hmm. my folks bought me a guitar on the last day of 2010 as a graduation present and prior to that i didn't like play guitar yeah. i played some upside down chords on a right-handed guitar i'm left-handed therefore for those who aren't necessarily familiar with guitar you you just don't stumble upon left-handed guitars yeah. rarer than hen's teeth mm-hmm. and um i guess those first couple of years until I was 19, basically, and was like, right, I'm, you know, doing this hella high water. Um, you know, yeah, I would, you know, go out like what we all did on the coast. You'd go out a couple of times a week, maybe go to the Thursday uni night or you go, you know, you always had some theory about why Friday or Saturday was better. And, um, <laughs> and that was that period, I guess. Um, that was that period of time in my life. And by the time I was pursuing music, 
when I first started pursuing music heavily, definitely there was still more partying because it was like so much fun <laughs> as far as there was really layered experience, layered dopamine experience of not only were you partying, but you were doing something meaningful yeah. in your job and you were surrounded by awesome people and you were on this one-way adventure that you'd never been on. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was such a huge amount of joy in that time and um, and I cer- certainly because I didn't, because I came out unscathed and I never pushed it. And like I said, I would happily say if I had tried harder drugs, but that for me and my crew was just like, you know, smoking and smoking weed at that time and drinking was already like enough and a yeah. lot, which was which I'm mega thankful for. For sure. The day that you gave up, so you're 19, is this the time where you're going, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up for sure? Or, no, 19 was the day you gave up your day job. 19 was the day I gave up my day job. Which that story I find both inspiring and confronting in equal measures. I'm like, this is so awesome. He gave up. Like I heard you say in the past, like there was no signposts that like you were going to make it, but you thought, well, screw it. I'll give up and give it all, which I find inspiring. I find it confronting because I can't do the same thing. I'm like, this is what I love doing. (laughs) These conversations. I do this one day a week and I've got three other jobs and like having the nuts to go, screw it. I'm just going to go all in. I do not yet have. So I applaud the 19 year old you. Thank you. And it's also, you know, like it's also easy to take those risks because there was less of them. Again, we speak Mm -hmm. about when things are easier. And if I think about the commonalities that that time was easier. Why? Because you're 19. Like my folks said at the time, they're like, when else? They're like, do you want to do like, when are you going to wait to do and take the risk? And so when you're 19, you haven't got a mortgage you haven't got yeah. a child depending on you. you haven't got a partner those are very real things that i um not having a family um, myself yet immensely respect that changes everything and yeah. so that's why i'm thankful at that time i took the risks that i really could take without being detriment to other people mm-hmm. um you touched on the drinking being fun and i think probably what's good to say is that there was maybe a shift in that 19 to 21 mm-hmm. late 2000 and 15 where <laughs> where i decided to just curiously stop for a month right okay, um, yeah. i would say i didn't exactly know why but it was a gut feeling and there's some very obvious factors when you play shows like five days a week mm-hmm. and every day people want to celebrate with you you have a you have a beer set up you have a beer after goodness forbid you meet a beautiful girl or you're with epic friends you haven't seen or new friends you just made and you drink some more and all of a sudden that's that's three or four beers without even being drunk mad sure. right and if you do that five days a week like where are you at mm-hmm. and i do think that probably a spur of why for example i stopped smoking weed mm-hmm. was i had a i had an experience where it was the first time and i remember why it was the first time that i smoked it to try and rid some of my anxiety and it was the Mm. first time i did it and it was the last time i smoked weed because i was it just completely flicked the switch for me before it was fun yeah and then it became something the moment i did that i was like i'm out that anxiety was life anxiety or career or on stage yeah what specifically no not stage anxiety Mm -hmm. it was life and circumstance of just you know like personal you know um you know suicide of someone close to us it was just Mm -hmm. actually a local here um you know my brother's best mate like just coming out of surgery chaos chaos mode and it just needed it just for me just switched me off it i was like 
I don't even know if I had the conscious, well, I'm stopping now. It's just like I was out. And um, I would say probably the thing that was the biggest marker for why I stopped drinking and went on this little month experiment was two reasons. One, I didn't like the idea of being like unfit mm-hmm. or having like a little beer belly as like a 21 year old you know i didn't yeah. and i wasn't there but i also wasn't like i was like i mean i still i'm trying hard to get a six pack still don't have a six pack but you know i like it was more erring on the side of i was like mm, like that's not cute at yeah. 21 you know yeah. and easy to happen right the second thing is i'd say that the biggest marker was i'd say loneliness mm-hmm. i'd say at the time i had a lot of pushing myself way hard pretty lonely living in a van um, traveling all the time never having any grounding and I just felt like there was if I reflect there was an edge of like there was some association with stress management and a bit to do with loneliness and I can't tell you why but Mm. that's what was there for me and I didn't like that and in the time what began as a month that would become I think about four years the things that shifted in that time as to why it was easy to stay that way or why it was a no brainer. Um, we're also around to do mending loneliness. Yeah. I wish I'd had the same my headspace. So like, I, I used to act and big thing in England is going to the Edinburgh fringe, right? The whole theater world or comedy world goes to the Edinburgh fringe which is 30 shows in 30 days. And it's a, it's a massive piss up. And for me, I never did the right vocal training or breath work. So like the dehydrating effects of drinking or smoking, just I, I would have by like show 17, I had no voice. So I've always been surprised by singers who are drinking and smoking as much as they seem to, that they still have a voice. I'm like, I was came. My voice went immediately. If you're doing five shows a week, like the, vo- the voice is a very delicate thing to control, right? Did, did you ever have nights where you just, your voice conked out? That is like such a fine, it's such a fine point. And I also want to add, by the way, I've actually never had the chance on a podcast or any long form to discuss this in in length, which excites me immensely Mm. because what you talk about in that cross industry example, you have to see some people can smoke and drink and play six days a week. Yeah. And maybe, maybe I could, but from what I understand about my body and my voice, for example, um, dude, I'm, you know, I'm running now before every show because it helps my diaphragm. Mm-hmm. I do Wim Hof before every show for both nerves and for pushing back my inflammation. Mm-hmm. I do vocal warm-ups every time before I'm on stage. It's not a night. They don't. Mm-hmm. I'm mega hy- hydration focused more and more now. Moral story is that I don't know how people do survive on that. And I think if we look over a period of time that's more than a year or two, we see that people don't. People don't tend to continue to have that success. It's a, it's a, it's a quick burning flame regarding their health mm-hmm. and how that sort of behavior impacts your voice. You know, I'm at that age now, at 29, where this is the period where people do get their vocal injuries and vocal um, surgeries. And yep. I don't want to do that. I'm not interested. And so it, to me, falls part of a bigger habit set that impacts my life in such a positive way that I'm just, I'm actually just not interested. And I'm not saying mm. that in a pompous or self-righteous way at all. I'm saying in genuine, I'm, I'm now just at this point, not interested. Yeah. It's just not a thing in my world where, um, I'm just not like, even with, even with weddings, even with my off time, it's just not, 
it's not what I do for my birthday. It's yeah. it's funny yeah. how it's yeah. just not a part of my life culture and community anymore. Yeah. Um, and I got friend I got friends who it's totally part of that, and I love them, and that's not friends and family. That's not an issue to that's not an issue to me because mm-hmm. this is just my little little journey. So. Yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know either how people do that thirty days, mm. thirty shows in Edinburgh, and drink and party and do all that, and still have a voice. Because I do all of what I'm doing to maintain my voice already, and so that's another big reason. Is I'm like here to be as healthy and athletic as possible for stage, yeah, um, and for my life. And so again, it's just another thing that just gets crossed off the list because it's like, well, it just kind of backfires on all the hard work I'm doing for sure I think a lot of people give up and they talk about the amount of time and energy that they get back that they used to spend in pubs or bars or hungover or thinking about booze or driving to and from bars right you're 21 when you give up and you haven't made it in inverted commas yet right Mm -hmm. yep so what did did you find yourself feeling hyper efficient were the gigs going better were you booking more were you traveling more were you you know were you leveling up as a human and a performer at that stage Absolutely. I think that's the part that makes it easier. So I still haven't figured out what the answer to this is and it's going to be different for each person, but it started as a month for me. Mm -hmm. I really meant it. It was like a month. It wasn't, um, I'm giving up. There's a, there's two, there's two sides to a coin, I think on this subject. And again, I'm not, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on this. You must seek a strategy when it comes to giving up something that's important to you. And there's been other things that have been harder than that for me. If I was to give up coffee tomorrow, I'd really need to have a strategy, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a part of my ritual. With drinking, I think we need to see, or with anything around addiction or mega habits, is how do you mentally approach it? Are we giving up forever mm-hmm. or are we giving up indefinitely? Yeah. If you saw my hands, they're clasped together right now, <laughs> and I'm, I'm giving coin flips like you don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Um, and I just feel maybe if you say i'm giving up to the day i die Mm -hmm. it puts an end date that you're looking at and it is forever away whereas if i'm doing this indefinitely Mm -hmm. it's saying now i'm doing this now i don't know when it will end but i think it's for the foreseeable future and it means for me i think if i was to choose one or two i would choose indefinitely opposed to never they're a similar thing but slightly different psychosomatic effects yes in my case it was a month i was curious and i hardly talked about and i think you know there's an alan watts talk on youtube about this and he's like you can't give the devil notice and i'm not a religious man but he's like Mm -hmm. you can't give the devil notice because who do you think the devil is and he cracks up laughing yeah and you know it makes you reflect on not even giving yourself too much notice Mm -hmm. being in some ways casual we can't always afford to and there's other things where you have to be depending on where you're at. And because I wasn't, aside perhaps some cure for loneliness and fatigue particularly, it hadn't become a problem. So that's why it was easy. And mm-hmm. I always rec- I recommend strongly to anyone, if you're curious about this just for fun, you could just do it for fun. You mm-hmm. could actually just stop and see how life is. And at 21, I do. And it was a month. And I remember it was maybe also I was in Germany. I feel like at the time traveling back from Stockholm, last beer I had was at an Indian place and then we were into Germany and so there's lots of um, the beer fest Oktoberfest was yeah, on and yeah. you know I was just casually going oh like no thanks no and the months that followed were just so glorious no doubt challenges but I was traveling with my sister and her then partner mm-hmm. so I had company 
I had first, and that's when my sister became my manager. Yeah. I had help on the stress management of doing way too much as one person as an independent. I was running and doing like cross training. Mm -hmm. And so I was getting stronger and fitter and healthier. I then the next tour did something called the runaway tour, which was this massive Australian tour. And it was very, a positive vision of how life could be and touring could be. And I had a couple of friends come on the road. One is a merch guy and one was filming. Mm -hmm. I had company. All of a sudden, my life just got so much better. It was like, why on earth would I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, do you miss it? It was like, miss what? Like, yeah. as far as everything just got so much better, it was to me a part of why things got better. And talking about why I think we can go into after this, but it was just things, life got better as a whole mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Perhaps I was more invested in my health, did more proactive things to that, worked on the fact that I was lonely and why, worked on being overworked by getting, you know, more managed, getting my first manager and management help. And so life just one month came by, then two months came by, then three months came by, and six months came by. And, you know, and then three or, you know, three and a half, four years, you know, four calendar years later, I was still on that wicket because it just was a natural roll on effect. Yeah. Well, I feel like you just glossed over it, but the fact that you were in Germany during Oktoberfest during your first month of sobriety is like, well, if I could do that. I can do freaking anything. But the way that you voice the two sides of the coin, I've never, I've never heard it put that way. And that's been a huge thing for me. So I originally gave up for a year because forever felt like too long. And a, the difference between giving up for a year and forever is a year or 30 days like you did, you are counting down days, okay? As soon as you get over a year or over your 30 days and it's forever or indefinitely, you're counting up. And that is a complete mind shift wow counting down versus counting up that's a beautiful way to put it yes one's totally feels rather negative and one feels positive exactly that has been my experience of it and now and i think i'm very much without realizing it i'm in the indefinite camp rather than forever because forever still feels too terminal i'm Mm -hmm. like never ever ever but indefinite i'm like yeah i can i can get through today i can get through tomorrow and that's a complete breeze and actually another thing that you touched on there which we always talk about is this idea of giving up alcohol is the least interesting thing about going sober. The interesting thing is doing the work. You discovering why you're lonely, discovering why you're overworked. How can I solve that? I'll employ my sister to be my manager. Like pulling in the people that are close to you to help you through the th- the reasons that we drink or the reasons that are causing us stumbling blocks in life. I think that is the most fascinating thing about going sober, right? It's like all of the things that go around it, all the things that you spend your time and energy doing when you're not drinking. I couldn't say it. Yeah, I couldn't say it better. That's a really beautiful way to put it is it's, and I think about this a lot a moment at the moment in regards to efficiency on a couple of different things. I live a pretty busy life. Just came back from six months of international mm. touring straight and next week on another tour. It's, gosh, it's so amazing how I think a fundamental factor looking back and seeing now because I am, although I've said nothing about it online, but like I'm back again on a just absolutely no for me at the minute, you know, an indefinite no. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same feelings have arose and it's curious doing it again these years later where it's like not even a drink here or there. It's just at the moment, just no. The power of a positive no. I think that's something that is underestimated. And I think what you get is it's not about saying no necessarily to the alcohol. Alcohol is like the instrument or the catalyst. Yes. It's then the fact that when you're at Oktoberfest and you don't really want to have a beer, you don't actually like, you know, 
beautiful vegan cakes outside like i want her to be polite <laughs> I, I, I do i you know like i want to be sociable i want to have the cake with you guys um but i just ate and i'm feeling great and i just and i'm and i don't want like i don't i don't actually want to yeah and so in a really positive way being like oh no like actually like no thank you um yep. that is something that's so underestimated because you develop your willpower and i must say that anything that develops your willpower where you're standing over an ice bath which i'm right into these um, ice baths and you yeah. know every time you stand over the ice bath you're like i don't want to do this <laughs> i don't want to hop in this silly little full of ice why am i doing this and you're like hey man you, you want to do it because you're standing over the thing in a pair yeah. of bodies so yeah. like you know developing your willpower and getting better at harnessing that energy um there's probably some actually some great studies now regarding the fact that you would get more dopamine from doing that than actually submitting to the thing that is easy now yeah. the um, dopamine high from an ice bath lasts 12 hours whereas cocaine alcohol is all like 20 to 45 minutes i think yeah case in point you yeah. know um and interestingly the breath work in the ice bath from the s study that i read is the only thing that can increase your baseline dopamine mm -hmm. which is a crazy thought for those that haven't and i haven't done a lot of um, research or reading into this but our dopamine drops we get these huge monday blues i still get them after tour mm -hmm. mad without the drinking without the drugs post tour blues man are like real <laughs> whoa they're like a chemical nightmare you know like i am so, like so depressed for a couple of days on mm -hmm. and off like it's it's horrible and there's to date nothing i've found other than you have to just write it out because you have <laughs> layered your experience of positivity so let's say you don't drink so you are conscious you're meditating you're doing your wim hof you're playing shows you're meeting epic people there's cute babies getting held up like it's a lion king <laughs> moment in the front of the crowd you're meeting all these people having truly meaningful experiences that are awesome. You, you plummet. Mm -hmm. We all plummet when we layer our experiences. I think that's an incredible um, find is that when you layer with drinking and a really good time and good people mm -hmm. and a beautiful environment, all of a sudden you're actually having a wicked awesome high. And the cool thing about the ice baths, going back to that and the breath work was that it was the, one of the things that if you expose yourself to it over a period of time, you can increase your baseline level of dopamine. And that to me, that's like increasing your actual biological happiness. Yeah. And that's like, that's, that's, that would be, I think, a huge reason to see, well, if I want to increase my biological happiness, like something that's a, a bodily thing, what, what will I do? Will I do my ice baths? Will I quit drinking? Because at the very least, it's inflammatory. Yep. Um, will I start to get back to my circadian rhythm? Will I have more meaningful interactions? All those things all of a sudden. Yeah, man. It's uh, the power of a positive no. I think that's something that in hindsight and now I think in a culture that's very like we and goodness forbid if you're an agreeable person which i which i actually am you don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable by saying no when they're offering you a drink because they're doing a nice thing yeah. they're yeah. actually trying to involve you <laughs> um and so the power of a positive no i think is something that's underestimated and you can use that there can be many instruments that might be coffee for someone that might be weed for someone else yeah. that might be i don't know phone time at night but developing that willpower, I think, actually has been one of the most important factors across the board, period, for me. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised about how much of an impact that's had on my day-to-day -day life. I love that concept of a positive no. I always find it weird. Like, 
not because of what I do for work or what we're talking about now. People want to talk about a thing you don't do, you know? But I was fascinated by the fact that I just don't drink. And I'd much rather talk about something that I do, you know? It's just something that I say no to and most people say yes. It's a weird concept to talk all the time about something that I just don't do anymore. Um, but the music industry generally, I would imagine, is sort of soaked in alcohol and drugs. That's the sort of the perception that I have from the outside in. So two questions, I guess. Was there someone in it that was sober that inspired you to be sober? You know, was there one person like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Or, you know, maybe it was someone who wasn't in the music industry. And then the second one would be, what's it like being in that industry on a tour, for example, where you're the one not drinking? Hmm. Well, I'll start with answering the first one, I think. And again, this is actually not something I've ever... I think I've ever even talked about in an interview. Mm -hmm. I did have one very early incident in my life that has shaped my view around alcohol. And I think it's my earliest memory. Mm -hmm. And it was my mum saying that my granddad couldn't come back to the house because he was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And I must have been little, man. I was like three. It's my one of my formative memories. I can see the couch. I can see the phone. A it's a phone with a cord still on it. Mm -hmm. And... You know, and obviously I didn't understand at the time the weight of the conversation, but you can see your mum's upset and you're a tod like more or less a toddler. And it took me a long time to forgive him for that. Yeah. As far as I carried a lot of just like, man, I hate this dude. Really? Big time. Yeah, and, and I on purpose didn't, even once things got better and he got out of it and his relationships with his daughters, including my mother, mm -hmm. got better, I still was just like, Held man, it. just black about it inside you know it was like i'm purposely not going to see you to punish you for screwing up mm -hmm. um until thanks to my um thanks to my my then partner my ex um a wealth of knowledge and insight she was like well that's pretty heavy like as far as like everyone else is chill and mm. now you're just like you know you're still carrying that and i had to say well he had a second family after who's my now aunties mm -hmm. who are my age, who yeah. my half aunties, my age, who I work with. One of them is my manager. Yeah. 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 Um, I tour with the other one and my life is so rich with them in it. My life is richer with them in it. And so where do I, as a young man, put the finger on my grandfather about, you know, should, should he be, should he have stopped and got his act together before my aunties were born? Mm hmm. Because he didn't have his act together when my aunties were born and a lot of chaos are there, but I have my aunties. So being able to see a generational positivity towards a whole mm. situation that it, you can't, you cannot pull that out. And what I'm trying to say is, is that that also helped me have understanding and appreciation for that. Maybe, you know, you're listening and where you're at or where someone else is at in your life, having some trust in the process. Mm -hmm. Which, if you aren't if you aren't religious, it, it can be hard to have trust in a process sure. and to have multi generational trust in something. And so I have that beautiful example of saying that was quite negative. That now I see, I'm like, you know what? I'm happy that things were chaotic enough, including his drinking, to the point that 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 is a part and parcel of why my aunties exist, and mm. I love them, and my life is better with them. And so I'm like, thank you, yeah. thank you for even not pulling up when you should have because everything's worked out perfectly yeah. and now he has and things are awesome. That was a key to first part of the first question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a key memory that I think impacted me. My mum and my dad, um, particularly my father is like a father, uh, you know, a male figure. 
you know, I never saw him have more than two beers. He yeah. was, you know, a very disciplined and not someone who was, you know, the out of control guy. And so that was my role model, you know, mm-hmm. so I had that sort of early memory. I had my role model there. I wouldn't say to my knowledge in, I would say I had more of an inward journey on, there wasn't someone necessarily else in music mm-hmm. who I looked up to in their sobriety. That was quite an inward thing for me. Yeah. I don't know if there wasn't an example at the time, to be honest. It wasn't a clear example. Now I have clear examples, not about sobriety, but health. Mm-hmm. Definitely taking notes from the likes of um, Xavier Rudd and John Butler. I've been lucky to get to know a bit over the years mm-hmm. now. For example, with running, I've looked up to them because of things like running and their health. And I see patterns of how they live their lives and I'm like, right, okay. And I've taken notes and I've applied them, yeah. you know? But when it came to sobriety, there wasn't... I had personal examples, but not professional examples. I think, if I can remember the second question, what's it like being... Sober in, in, a, in a boozy industry, yeah. Man, you just... Because I did that, some of my... Two of my closest friends who I still work with today, eight years on from that moment... I went on tour, but I very much was like, if you want to drink, if you want to smoke, as long as it's not affecting your work, mm-hmm. I'm not here. Like, if, unless you're like ruining the tour, sure, go for it. Like, as far as like, I was, I would go out sober. I'd go out with everyone mm. and dance and party and like be the sober driver. Like, I just, I continued with life. We developed very understanding relationships as a result as young guys and girls together. We developed this understanding relationship of mutual acceptance. I think that is really important and they also, and it's a credit to them as people because they also held that space for me as their sober friend, yeah. you know, and they didn't put it on me. Sure. They didn't push it. Yeah. And so that I think means we had our own bubble. We were kind of all these misfits that, mm-hmm. you know, misfits that just formed our own little world and then reflecting on how it impacts touring life now. I think that, you know, I got right into running yeah, obsessively because I don't do anything in halves. I got right into running <laughs> on the last tour and, you know, watching the subtle effect of that I'm running with my buddy Kim who was on tour with me as the support act. Yeah. Uh, you're running with, I'm running with Charlie who was the filmer and then we're running with Brad who was the photographer and sure. then Ria and Lisa are going to gym together and Nathan goes and does his big walks and walks, you know, Rourke, my brother's doing a hundred push-ups, you know, side stage at every show he's my stage manager yeah we just got into a rhythm and i do think we positively affected each other and so they still drink and they still um you know smoke and do whatever you know like it's not a it's not like some sobriety bus but we we coexist yeah and it's like our tour is mega positive and no matter whether you are sober or not the key thing that we need to find which is a big lesson for me that i'm working on Shout out Kim Churchill, amazing Australian musician, um, but a good buddy of mine. Are you unwinding or are you unraveling? Mm. Is the way he put it. Yeah. And it's stuck with me, you know, because we all need to unwind. Like I have to unwind and I'm not always good at it. Mm-hmm. And there's unraveling and we just have to be honest with ourselves when we're, are we unwinding or are we unraveling? Because some people have a drink and they're unwinding. Some people have a smoke, they're unwinding. Some people have a drink, have a smoke, and they're unraveling. Yeah. And that, I think, but we must find ways to unwind because you can go sober and be a pent-up mess Mm -hmm. if you don't find ways to positively unwind. 
I've found that running has been one of the best things for me to do as an alternative way to socialize outside of a bar or pub. Like you're doing with friends and people you work with. Like I've got a friend who visited recently who's like a big drinker and he was so up for running. And I was like, this is, I think men particularly are like, we're more comfortable having conversations shoulder to shoulder rather than face to face. That's cool. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's a big thing. So like shoulder to shoulder therapy is a thing in men. So running with someone and being able to have these deep conversations, not necessarily eye to eye. It's a really beautiful way to connect, not over a pint, is what is what I found. But you said that you picked up running during your last tour. I know you've spoken quite openly about in 2017 when you did this tour where you, you felt an element of, of burning out. And I feel like all of us go, touring must be great. It's just parties and girls and like adulation and applause and like it's the best thing in the world ever, surely. What did a burnout look like for you? Oh, jeez. It's a good question. This is not going to be a good, you can, despite all your best efforts, even being sober and doing all these healthy things and not partying, still have a burnout. Yeah. And you can still work too hard. And that's maybe the unwinding factor in not listening to yourself. There's so many things in it, but um, I would say it's not like you get sober and everything just magically fixes itself. Yes. But at least you're not adding to the pile of chaos. If I was drinking through that time, man, I just don't know. I just don't know how I could possibly handle more pressure than I was already handling. Yeah. I really don't. Um, that's just the truth for me. I don't know if I would be strong enough to have been drinking through, for example, that time. I was like trailing through your song lyrics, right? To see if I could find any clues to drinking or the type of drinker that you were or the experience or whatever. So the, the burnout tour 2017, 2018 is when you released Love Me Now. Or it was released, I don't know if you wrote it then. But yeah, in it you sing, do you ever feel like just getting drunk to deal with what's been going on? And is that lyric the way that you were drinking? Was that the way that you were seeing people drink? Was that a thought that you had during a mad tour, like this is a, a temptation to drink because this is fucking mental, what's going on here? Like, Where did that lyric come from? It makes me think of... It makes me think there's something... There's another lyric in a song, and I can't even think of what song. It's one of mine, may I add. There's a lyric in a song also around drinking that I can't. Probably one if people want to listen um, for fun. It's a song called Tell Me. And it's off an album called Four Feet in the Forest. And I think that alludes a lot to burnout. It was like the first time the lyrics, and I, uh, you know, like, I didn't know how to say I needed help. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't very good at looking after myself. That, although it doesn't allude specifically to drinking, I don't believe in that song. It alludes to the biggest challenge and why you drink. And if I think about it now, part of the reason you drink when you tour, man, you're so tired. <laughs> you're so tired all the time. You're doing your major thing at like 10 PM at night. We're yeah. getting a massive dopamine. You're getting all these lights. You're getting real interactions. Your sleep schedule at best is two to 10. And yeah. if you've got any um, insomnia, sometimes it's four or five because mm-hmm. you're so hyped up. I understand why, and and like for me, I've again like you know I have these um like lines main and um lines main another one called reishi two mushrooms that I have in yep. my tea at night because that helps me come down. I have that with a bit of cacao mm-hmm. and maple syrup or something, right? It's intense. Touring touring is physically intense. The biggest trade off I've made in my career is fatigue, mm-hmm. like proper issues with fatigue because it's so real. And maybe sometimes you just want to drink on tour because you need the sugar. Yeah. It's energy. It's the same reason you want to have a coffee or have this. It's like, it's sugar. Mm-hmm. And it's it helps you numb to like the fact that you're like, I have only slept for three hours. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm playing a show. Like I'm exhausted, but not for me. I would say the feeling around love me now and do you ever feel like just getting drunk to deal with what's been going on? It's, it's that desperation feeling that I've had where you just like, you can do it with coffee, you could do it with a cuppa, you could do it with alcohol, you could do it with smoking, anything. You're just like, man, I just want to switch my brain off yes. right now. I just want to go on my phone and scroll endlessly. <laughs> like, I just, yeah, I want to go. I just want to flick. Perhaps it's, you know, the prefrontal cortex. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The decision-making part, I just want to flick that thing off. Yeah. And that is something that I had felt around drinking and otherwise. And I think it's a universal feeling. And I think because alcohol is perhaps such a common part of at least Western culture, it's a reference that you can make where it speaks to a truth that people are like, yeah, I know that feeling. Mm-hmm. And when you sing it with that feeling, they're like, I get that. And it's like an admittance. It's like, do you ever feel like just getting drunk, dealing with what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Because we all have, again, we all have real stress in our life and we just got to figure out how to, you know, unwind opposed to unravel. Mm-hmm. And an important part of that whole journey for me that I didn't even get to share was I then got to this point and it had been four calendar years and there became a new challenge for me. And the new challenge was, was that I had, again, a bit of a masochist. I had proved the point. I was like, I can, I know I can not drink and my mm-hmm. life is as good, if not better. Mm-hmm. That's a key thing as well. I'd say anyone listening is that like my life, I know from the lived experience, which was so valuable is like life is as good, if not better. Mm-hmm. That's my knowledge on the situation. Yeah. It then became a, well, why can't I just like have a drink here or there? Like, have I proved this point to myself? Mm-hmm. And at mm-hmm. the time I had, and that was, you know, and I remember that year getting drunk twice. That's all it took for me to be like, this sucks. Yeah. This is like, I remember the two times <laughs> it was like once at this little pub with friends and it was utterly hilarious. And it was a funny as night because my friends, some of which had been friends with me for four years, yeah. had never seen me have a drink. Yeah. You know, were freaking out. Mm-hmm. So the first night was funny and I remember the second night that, you know, I like, you know, got drunk and I was like I was like laying in bed going, This sucks so much. Like this is so average. Yeah. This is so subpar. <laughs> like this this sucks. Like for me, this experience sucks. Like you're yeah. sitting there you know, head spinning and um and so that became the new challenge for me was like, Well, I've proved to myself this and now I want to be able to just once you have this experience for a month or for two months or for two years or for four or whatever, depending on where your alcohol relationship is at, it then became, it's impartial. Example, a couple of years ago, I was trying to heal my gut mm-hmm. and sugar was a big thing. So, you know, there, there I quit sugar, including alcohol for three or four months and I didn't think about it twice. Like yeah. it's, it's impartial and that's the beautiful freeing thing that I would encourage anyone who wants to feel more free in their life is that developing the impartial relationship to something like alcohol is something I'll have for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I have it or I don't have it. It's cool. And mm. then if I don't like now where it's been another three months was three months this week where it's like intentionally, I was like, nah, mm-hmm. I didn't even want to have a drink. My precursor this time was developing more of my willpower mm-hmm. and I've been on a major athletic kick more than ever before. I'm like trying yes. to be, as fit and strong as I can possibly be in my life. Like I'm trying, I'm pushing my outer limit of that alongside touring. And so it just doesn't fit into that puzzle. You just look For at sure. that on paper and 
developing that impartial relationship I just think is so amazing because then even during that time just be a month or two Mm -hmm. I came past a bottle the other day and I was like I just can't even imagine going in (laughs) like it's just not it's just not part of my world yeah it's just not it's just not there and when you develop the impartialness to whatever that is in your life that seem to matter some things matter your relationships Mm -hmm. matter Mm -hmm. your health matters but my relationship to alcohol was impartial yeah and I have the knowledge of experience that my life is as good if not better without it and that is like I can't describe to you the power of that it's just such a positive feeling for sure and we talk a lot about the idea of having control over alcohol rather than letting it control you right that's that's mm. the goal that is yes. the goal for anyone who's sober or sober curious like i just don't want it to be a factor in my life that makes me make decisions i don't want to make anymore the tie i see between that and your relationship with coffee and or that and your relationship with your phone mm-hmm. or with pinterest or with instagram um interestingly also through this time i've had such minimal interaction with my um instagram yeah and my social media i've been getting a lot of it um helping have it run with my team yeah yeah man so maybe i'm just feeling the impact of a more positive dopamine experience Mm -hmm. you know perhaps that's literally that simple maybe it's not even more esoteric than that but i like to think it is more esoteric than that and i feel in the world more and so again there's perhaps another i'd say the social media thing's a big one and we just have to I think we also have to try and see what makes me what leads me to want to make bad decisions yeah what's the things and I still make some terrible decisions <laughs> I still have so many regrets mm-hmm. um, but I think I have less of them than if I had the yeah um, if I had the glaze you mm-hmm. know if I had the things that would kind of soften my judgmental impact on myself or my um, awareness there's no there's no card i can't pull the i was drunk card which is sad sometimes yeah, but you know if sure. i can't pull it there's like you got full accountability <laughs> and therefore you can't gonna wake up tomorrow and be like well i'm gonna pull that card you're like you don't have it you know you've got no monopoly on that <laughs> it was such a good excuse for so long we've lost it <laughs> i know so you know but it's uh yeah man it's um a crazy journey and i just feel like in a really positive like encouraging like i just don't see you know i think it's easy now to we're in this like time where everybody has the answer right mm-hmm. and we're all looking for the answer i think that's good we're looking for the answers on everything and i think by saying to people particular sober curious being like don't make it you don't have to make it permanent mm-hmm. like you could just do it and just see what happens yes. right i just think that I tr- what I'm trying to tell is the story of such immense positivity because I think that like encouraging people to do something because of the positive impact it has on your life is such a great way instead of saying I'm losing something it's like mm-hmm. what are you gaining you know yes. you talk about it so often you're talking about on this podcast something you don't do it's quite ironic it's a paradox unto mm-hmm. itself and for me like I said gaining impartialness gaining more willpower gaining lived experience of something i just can't recommend particularly to anyone who's like in their 20s mm-hmm. early 20s like that was so such a fundamental experience in my life and i'm just so thankful and i don't and i would do it again in a heartbeat you know yeah. like it just it just was one of the best decisions i made even if it didn't it hasn't been 10 years straight but for that three or four years in particular that started off as a concept of a month yeah like one of the most important and just 
positive yeah positive experiences and i and i think people if their curiosity gets the better of them i would 100 percent recommend trying it at least I think that's a beautiful, beautiful place to call it. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. I think yours in particular, particularly speaking to 20-year-olds, which is like the demographic that we're, we want to get. Like that is, those are the years when we had all of our regretful stories. I feel like those people in particular are sober or sober curious or just thinking about it. I think you are going to appeal to them. The way you speak to it is exactly the way that they listen. So I want to thank you for reaching out to them. I also want to, I think we've caught you at a really interesting time. I feel like you've off the back of a tour about to go on another one like in a in a nice space in your life it feels i just want to say i'm thankful for you sharing that because I, I can feel it i can feel that you're in a good place and it's cool to be around it um, i'll finish with, with just a quick story which is my wife is liz right and we moved up here two years ago and a lot of people come visit in the first two years what the, what the hell's sunshine coast like so when we pick up people from the airport we bring a pack of pringles and we bring a non-alcoholic drink we call it the Heyman liz express and we pick them up and then we put a Ziggy Albert's album on and you are the soundtrack to our Welcome to the Sunshine Coast. And that I thought is, I've always wanted to tell you that. I want to thank you for being the sound of the Sunshine Coast to us whenever visitors come up. Man, that's so, um, that's so beautiful. You know, that makes me think about what I'd do if I'm taking friends on an adventure. I put on Ben Howard. You yeah. know, that's my like, that's my equivalent. So that's, I feel thankful to be able to tell a story which actually I haven't even really beyond a couple of social media posts mm-hmm. being able to tell things that things people don't know at all about my upbringing in this conversations mm-hmm. i feel really thankful for that and i feel just lucky that in this time being able to speak from like a place of positivity which includes the positivity of my sober experience or the positive nose you know mm-hmm. that's i feel thankful for it to not just be reflective and be here today the shell of a person I'd like to close if I could by saying that I look up to so much people who are in a harder position. I don't think that's something to, I don't envy and I don't, I think I understand more now, but there's things I don't understand about addiction Mm -hmm. and how ingrained it is in people's lives. And I just want to say that to anyone um, who would be listening, that's having a less frivolous experience than what I had in my exit. Mm-hmm. But I look up to those people, I really do, because it's easy. It's it's easy to stop before something's a problem. And by circumstance of your life and your experience and your upbringing, you might have been in a harder spot. And I just think, um, I just want to acknowledge that being on here talking, just to say that like, I don't understand that, but I just back you. And I think things can be better. And when you think of your life and people's lives, being more positive that's just like that's what we're here for you know absolutely well said thank you so much ziggy thank you for having me an absolute pleasure right lads do you want a cup of tea yeah go on then so there it is ziggy alberts on sober awkward what a treat i learned so much from that chat what struck me most about Ziggy is not only is he incredibly grounded, but also grateful for all that he's achieved. But he's also a guy that thinks so deeply about his craft. Giving up alcohol was just one lever he wanted to pull, along with focusing on his exercise, his ice baths, his diet, all of those things to fundamentally make him a better performer. He was making those decisions when he was 21. 
right? That was before he was even a success. I've got no idea how he did that in his 20s. Amazing. That was what I found so inspiring too about this. How many singers have gone off the rails, then learnt from their mistakes and gone sober? Ziggy actually did it the other way around. He gave up before developing a problem a bit like Haim, whilst he was still able to do it without too much struggle. By doing this, he gave himself the best possible chance of succeeding at his passion. I can't think of anyone not drawing something from that. I wish I had the focus when I was in my 20s. The other thing I loved about this was his theory on giving up forever versus indefinitely. Yeah. That just made a lot of sense to me and put into words, I guess, what I'd been feeling for a long time, which is really what singers and poets are meant to do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Give words to your thoughts that you can't say good. Yeah, well done, Hamish. His story in overcoming alcohol might be very different to yours. You might have struggled more or battled it for years, but it goes to show that you don't have to reach rock bottom to give up. In fact, it'll be much easier if you make the decision to go sober before you reach that point. Are we going to head down and see him at the end of this tour then, Vic? I, I would love to. End yep. of November, he's going to be in Brisbane. Another yep. awkward sober night out. My pointing, dancing, you're doing your stomping. I'll be doing lots of stompy dancing if we go and see Ziggy Albert's yeah. Hamish. Yes. And it's at the River Stage, which is where we saw Fatboy Slim. Yes, it is. But that is the best venue, actually, isn't it, in Brisbane? That is amazing. It's kind of this outdoor auditorium. It's brilliant. I like the idea of just having one dance floor that we fully commit to. Oh, yes. It's like a safe space. We know we can sober dance there. Whatever's on at the river stage, we go. Okay, so we're going So we're going to Ziggy Alberts in November, and then we think, well, I'll, I'm dragging you to the Chemical Brothers in February. Are you? Yeah. Not as much as my wife is dragging me to the Wiggles at the beginning of December. Right, okay, I need to talk to you about that okay. off, ca- off show. Go on. I have been to the Wiggles. And? It was the biggest nightmare of my life. Oh, yeah, the queue to get, to get me in. Excited. Yeah, queue to get in. The kids don't even look at them. They're just crawling around the furniture. It's terrible sound. It's just not a good show. I was going to go dressed as a Teletubby to like say, "We, I don't care. I'm a rebel." Oh God, that is going to be the most sober, awkward thing you've ever done. <laughs> I will come and film it just to see how awkward. Because people just go like, "Who's that guy?" Yeah, what a dork. Can you come? Can you come Absolutely without a not. child no. to the Wiggles gig? No. I reckon that is illegal. I don't think you can actually go. No, don't get me wrong. I love the Wiggles. I do love the Wiggles, Hamish. But live? But live, it's a no-go with kids. It's just awful. Because they don't appreciate it. I, I appreciated it. It was the fact that the kids didn't appreciate the little The little brats. pricks. Yeah. I like the idea of going, what are your last three gigs that you've been to live? Fatboy Slim, Ziggy Alberts, The Wiggles. Yeah. I like that as a sentence. Love it. We just want to say a huge thank you to Ziggy Alberts for coming on our show. What a privilege, Hame. What an honour. He's welcome back anytime. Anytime he can come on, we love him. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Fix got one. Yeah, just head to www.cupper.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it?
Hi there. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuckuppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? No, it's probably ones with moody, moody sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay, yes, good, yes. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. Yeah. You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audio book will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry, and cringe, and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. (laughs) My teeny little wooden heart. His his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. 
come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> 